Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. I am your host, Terence M. Stanton. Thank you so much for joining me. We are going to begin by mentioning that this is day 8 of our 54-day Rosary Novena, the Sorrowful Mysteries in Petition. And the recommended Novena Petition is as follows. The consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary by the Pope and all the Catholic bishops of the world in the manner requested by Our Lady of Fatima, which will end these chastisements, prevent greater chastisements, and result in the conversion of Russia to the Catholic faith and a period of world peace. I unite this rosary with all the rosaries offered for the same intention. We were talking yesterday about the miracle of the sun. And there's a miracle that happens every single day. At every Catholic church all over the world. Tragically, many Catholics don't realize that. I'm going to begin by reading from an article that was published on August 8th, 2019 in Catholic Family News entitled Fatima's Angel of Peace and the Need for Eucharistic Reparation. Uh, I believe it was written by either Brian McCall or Matt Gaspers. It begins by saying, A Crisis of Faith. Earlier this week, Pew Research Center summarized their findings about U.S. adult Catholics and belief in transubstantiation and the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist as follows. Transubstantiation, the idea that during Mass, the bread and wine used for communion become the body and blood of Jesus Christ, is central to the Catholic faith. Indeed, the Catholic Church teaches that the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. But a new Pew Research Center survey finds that most self-described Catholics don't believe this core teaching. In fact, nearly 7 in 10 Catholics, 69%, say they personally believe that during Catholic Mass, the bread and wine used in communion are symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Just one-third of U.S. Catholics, 31%, say they believe that during Catholic Mass, the bread and wine actually become the body and blood of Jesus. For those under age 40, the percentage drops to 26%. Granted, the numbers vary significantly between those who attend Mass weekly or more, 63%, versus those who attend monthly or yearly, 25%, or seldom, never, 13%. Nevertheless, this new study shows that a whopping 37% of U.S. Catholics who attend Mass weekly or more believe that the bread and wine are symbols rather than the actual body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Steve Skojek of 1 Peter 5 has already pointed out, these tragic statistics don't really demonstrate a dramatic decline over the past 25 years or so. Similar results were published in 1994, as Skojek mentions. They do, however, confirm what traditional Catholics and others have known for decades. Faith in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist has dramatically declined since the Second Vatican Council, 1962 to 1965, and the so-called liturgical reforms that issued therefrom. And this continuing downward trend, as Skojic observes, has occurred despite a younger generation of priests who have embraced the reform of the reform. 
which would suggest that a reverent Novus Ordo is not sufficient to remedy the problem. Again, a foregone conclusion for traditional Catholics. In short, the Church continues to suffer from a massive crisis of faith among her members regarding the reality of the Most Blessed Sacrament, that at every Holy Mass, when the priest utters the words of consecration, this is my body and this is the chalice of my blood, the bread and wine are entirely changed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ himself. The number of souls who routinely receive Holy Communion, not discerning the body of the Lord, as it mentions in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29, which leads to judgment and condemnation, if done with knowledge and consent, is staggering. What is the proper response for faithful Catholics who love our Lord and desire to make him known and loved in the Blessed Sacrament? The answer, it seems, was given by heaven over a hundred years ago at Fatima, and we'll get to that momentarily. But I just wanted to mention the reality of transubstantiation, the reality that our Lord Jesus Christ comes to us truly sacramentally present in his body, blood, soul, and divinity at every single Catholic Mass. I highly recommend trying to get to the traditional Latin Mass or the Divine Liturgy. So beautiful, so reverent, so fitting. If we as Catholics don't believe that that's really Jesus Christ, then what's the point? And I think that's why so many people have left the church over the last several decades. Well, if it's just kind of a get-together, if it's just kind of a sing-along, if it's not really the representation of that once-and-for-all sacrifice of our Lord on Calvary, then, yeah, you have people who have more important things to do on Sunday and figure this was just kind of a quaint tradition of my grandparents and maybe I'll show up at Christmas and Easter to make them happy, but what difference does it make in my life? Well, all the difference in the world, my friends. All the difference in the world. We can never be grateful enough for Jesus and the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Continuing on from the article, The Angel of Peace, it says, Although I have no statistics to prove it, I'd be willing to bet that most people who know something about Fatima and the supernatural events that occurred nearby the Portuguese village associated them exclusively with the Blessed Virgin Mary, who appeared to three shepherd children a total of six times from May to October 1917. Many people familiar with Our Lady's apparitions, even Catholics, are sadly oblivious to the angelic apparitions of 1916, which prepared the three seers for the coming of Our Lady. Listeners to the Our Lady of Fatima podcast are not oblivious. We have mentioned this before. It continues by saying, Lucia dos Santos, 1907 to 2005, the eldest of the three seers, and the only one to live beyond childhood, more commonly known by her religious name, Sister Lucia, left for us in her memoir a stunning account of the three angelic apparitions that preceded those of Our Lady. In the spring, summer, and autumn of 1916, Lucia and her two younger cousins, 
Francisco and Jacinta Marto were visited by the Angel of Peace, as he identified himself. In her second memoir, Lucia describes his appearance as that of a young man, about 14 or 15 years old, whiter than the snow, transparent as crystal when the sun shines through it, and of great beauty. She continues, On reaching us, he said, Do not be afraid. I am the Angel of Peace. Pray with me. Kneeling on the ground, he bowed down until his forehead touched the ground and made us repeat these words three times. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you. I ask pardon of you for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love you. Then rising, he said, pray thus. The hearts of Jesus and Mary are attentive to the voice of your supplications. His words engraved themselves so deeply on our minds that we could never forget them. From then on, we used to spend long periods of time prostrate like the angel, repeating his words until sometimes we fell exhausted. How many of us, myself included, can honestly say we spend even short periods of time prostrate like the angel, repeating his words, and yet it is precisely this sort of prayer that embodies and fosters true adoration of Almighty God. Not only the exterior posture, which is important, but also the interior acts of faith, hope, charity, and reparation expressed by the words of the angel's prayer. While adoration was clearly the focus of his first visit, the angel's lesson during his second visit centered on the value of prayer and sacrifice. He appeared suddenly one summer afternoon, interrupting the children's play with a rather abrupt question. What are you doing? he asked. Pray. Pray very much. The most holy hearts of Jesus and Mary have designs of mercy on you. Offer prayers and sacrifices constantly to the Most High. How are we to make sacrifices, I asked. Make of everything you can a sacrifice, and offer it to God as an act of reparation for the sins by which he is offended, and in supplication for the conversion of sinners. You will thus draw down peace upon your country. I am its angel guardian, the angel of Portugal. Above all, accept and bear with submission the suffering which the Lord will send you. Sacrifice, reparation, and supplication for the conversion of sinners. This is the essence of the Holy Mass, which is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, John 1, verse 29, made present in an unbloody manner. Yet how many Catholics believe that the Holy Eucharist is not only the body and blood of Christ, real presence, but also and specifically his body and blood offered in sacrifice. And hopefully we are doing our utmost by God's grace to be offering up daily sacrifices for the relief of the holy souls in purgatory. We cannot forget about them. And, you know, we don't have to um, be making these colossal efforts and think, well, I'm just, I'm going to fast for three days or something like that. It can be going without dessert and saying, Lord Jesus, I give up this dessert for your glory, for the relief of the holy souls. We can do little things with great love, right? Like St. Teresa of Calcutta said, little things with great love. You know, some people are called to uh, get into extreme penances or something like that. I'd certainly never do that without wise spiritual direction, but I think for most people, it's those little things that are done with great love. I'm going to give this up. 
this small thing, a dessert or a favorite tree, whatever it is. Or I'm going to say an extra chaplet of divine mercy for someone or an extra five decades of the rosary for the holy souls in purgatory. Offering up those little sacrifices with great love, um, I think that's truly pleasing to our Lord. The article continues by saying, Make reparation and console your God. Adoration, sacrifice, and the real presence are intimately related. And the angel guardian of Portugal, who some experts believe is St. Michael the Archangel, demonstrated this truth in spectacular form during his third and final apparition. When he returned in the fall of 1916, the angel found the children prostrate and praying the prayer he had taught them the preceding spring. My God, I believe, I adore. As Lucia recounts, I don't know how many times we had repeated this prayer when an extraordinary light shone upon us. We sprang up to see what was happening and beheld the angel. He was holding a chalice in his left hand with the host suspended above it, from which some drops of blood fell into the chalice, leaving the chalice suspended in the air, and the angel knelt down beside us and made us repeat three times, Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I adore you profoundly, and I offer you the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ present in all the tabernacles of the world in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifference with which he himself is offended. And though the infinite, excuse me, and through the infinite merits of his most sacred heart and the immaculate heart of Mary, I beg of you the conversion of poor sinners. Then rising, he took the chalice and the host in his hands. He gave the sacred host to me and shared the blood from the chalice between Jacinta and Francisco, saying as he did so, take and drink the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Horribly outraged by ungrateful men, make reparation for their crimes and console your God. Once again, he prostrated himself on the ground and repeated with us three times more the same prayer, Most Holy Trinity, and then disappeared. When I first learned about these angelic apparitions, and particularly this final apparition, I remember being blown away by the profundity of it all. The Eucharistic miracle, bleeding host, the theological richness of the prayer, the startling urgency of the angel and his call to make reparation and console your God. The fact that we can console Almighty God by our reverence towards him in the Blessed Sacrament and the words of Father Michel de la Santa Trinité, author of the three-volume masterpiece, The Whole Truth About Fatima, says, For our part, we must meditate on these wonderful words of the angel and profit by them, by their simplicity and their great richness, by their doctrine, so traditional and yet so fresh and original and in their clear accentuation of certain aspects of dogma, they also, excuse me, they already demonstrate their supernatural origin. At Fatima, the words of the angel, brief as they are, already present themselves as a first formulation, a first synthesis of the unique message, which constitutes for our century a condensation of the gospel, or better still, by its precise and dogmatic character, a catechism, perfectly adapted to our times of apostasy. If Catholics in general are ever to overcome the widespread apostasy that afflicts them and regain their faith in the real presence, they must encounter the magnificence of the Mysterium Fidei, 1 Timothy 3.9. They must see Christ in all his glory, like St. John on the island of Patmos, and fall at his feet as dead, 
Apocalypse 1, verse 17, overwhelmed by his majesty. And ordinarily speaking, aside from Eucharistic miracles and heavenly apparitions, this encounter is facilitated through the same means employed by the angel of peace, traditional catechesis, traditional prayer, and profound reverence for our Eucharistic king. May all Catholics learn to imitate the three little shepherds of Fatima, who themselves humbly imitated the angel of peace, and make reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifference by which Christ himself, really present in the Holy Eucharist, is offended. And that's the end of the article. And I cannot say enough, and I cannot emphasize enough, the importance and the beauty of Eucharistic adoration. Some of the best hours of my life have been spent at the Eucharistic Adoration Chapel. Um, we're blessed where I live to have a few close by that are open, if not on a 24-hour basis, um, for many hours during the course of the day. So please, if you have a Eucharistic Ador Adoration Chapel nearby, go and be generous in your time. Time spent with the Lord is the best investment you can make. And if you don't have a Eucharistic Adoration Chapel nearby, go to the nearest Catholic church and stop in sometime. He's there. It's his house. Go in, tell him how much you love him, and go about your day. Maybe it's only for 10 minutes. Maybe it's only for five minutes. We live in an era in which people are ignoring the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He desires us to be passionately in love with him because he's passionately in love with us. That's what heaven is. It's being married to God in the spiritual sense. Earthly marriage is supposed to reflect that. So please, go to Eucharistic Adoration often. Of course, attend Mass, at least on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation, if not more often, and recognize that our Eucharistic King is there, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. And we have his word on that. I'm going to close by reading from the Gospel according to St. John, beginning at chapter 6, verse 35, and continuing. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall not hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you also have seen me, and you believe not. All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will not cast out. Because I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again in the last day. And this is the will of my Father that sent me, that everyone who seeth the Son and believeth in him may have life everlasting. And I will raise him up in the last day. The Jews therefore murmured at him, because he had said, I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How then saith he, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Murmur not among yourselves. 
No man can come to me except the Father, who hath sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every one that hath heard of the Father, and hath learned, cometh to me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, but he who is of God, he hath seen the Father. Amen, amen, I say unto you, he that believeth in me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the desert and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that if any man eat of it, he may not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have life in you. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood abideth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, the same also shall live by me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. These things he said, teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples hearing it said, This saying is hard, and who can hear it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples murmured at this, said to them, Doth this scandalize you? If then you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh provideth, profiteth nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that did not believe, and who he was that would betray him. And he said, Therefore did I say to you that no man can come to me unless it be given him by my Father. After this, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Will you also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have known that thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Let us conclude by honoring Our Lady of Fatima. In nomine Patris, et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et nora mortis nostrae. Amen. Virgo potens, ora pro nobis. Sancti Osef, terra daimonem, ora pro nobis. In nomine Patris, et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thank you very kindly for listening to episode 14 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. I'm your host, Terence M. Stanton. Goodbye, and God love you.